Hello, and welcome to the Foster Youth Camp Podcast. This week, we have 4,516 campers and adults from 93 churches. In this service, our camp pastor, Michael Butler, taught on God's strength from Ephesians, and during this message, there were 73 spiritual decisions, including 44 professions of faith. Foster Creek, good evening. You look good tonight. What a great time of worship we were able to share together this evening, and it's only going to continue now as we get into the Word together and we let it speak to us to mold and shape our lives to its truth. Ephesians chapter 6 is going to be where we are in the text tonight. Ephesians chapter 6, we're studying this week. Yeah, we can cheer for that. We're studying this week the story of the Ephesian church. And I mentioned to you on Monday night and again last night that the reason why we're studying the Ephesian church is because of their influence. Because I believe that God wants to use you to influence your generation. God wants to use you to influence your community. God wants to use you to influence your school campus. God wants to use you and your influence in your family. God wants to use you and your influence in your church. God wants to use you and your influence in our nation. God wants to use you and your influence to make a difference for the kingdom of Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And yet, in order to see that influence used, leveraged the way that, that I believe you can leverage that influence, we must be rooted in and grounded in the Word of God. We must be established on our faith in Jesus Christ and built from there, rooted and established, that we would continue to grow in that faith. And that's why we're studying this story of this church, because we see... We see some amazing things happen. You remember Monday night, we saw that in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, that within two years, all of Asia heard the gospel through those who were a part of that church in Ephesus. And yet, sadly, by the time we get to Friday night, what we're going to see is that a generation removed from that, they had lost their first love. And so the question that we're looking at is, how can we, how can we, preserve our influence? How can we preserve our witness? How can we preserve the integrity of the gospel in, embodied in our lives in order that we would make much of Jesus and that we would spend our lives trying to influence others for his kingdom and his cause? Of course, that begins with faith in Jesus. It begins by entering into a relationship with him by faith. And then from there, we saw last night that we are to continue walking in faith. And tonight, what I want us to see is that we're to be surrounded by the armor of God, the protection of God that He gives us, His covering given to us, that we may, that we may stand firm against the, the tide of culture and all the things that we face in this world. This morning, about a few hundred friends of mine and I ran a little 5K race. If you're part of the 5K race this morning, let's see it. Raise of hands. How many people were part of the 5K? Shout out to everybody. All right, if you're a part of the fun run, if you're in the fun run this morning, you came out, you did the fun run, where are you at? I heard someone say, I heard someone say, running should never be fun. And uh, maybe you felt that this morning. I completely disagree. I love to run, but maybe you felt that this morning. I know a lot of you this week, though, not just this morning, you've been getting up early in the morning and you've been working out. You've been, you've been running or you've been exercising and doing other things because a lot of you are involved with some kind of athletics, some kind of sport, and you're doing summer conditioning right now. So big shout out from everybody who's involved in some kind of athletics 
and you're doing some kind of summer training, some kind of summer workouts, some kind of summer pride program this summer. If that's you, let's hear from you right now, all right? You know, there's a reason why you train in the summer, in the off-season, and that is because it's what you do in the off-season that, that really is, that's where you pay the price for success that you'll have in season. I know that sounds like just coach speak in a lot of ways. That sounds very cliche to say that, but it's true. It's, it's being willing to make sacrifices and pay the price in the off-season to discipline yourself, to train, to work on your endurance, to build your fitness, to gain muscle, to all those things that you do to gain strength. That's a big part of summer workouts. You want to gain strength. And, and, and some of you, like the, the transformation that takes place, and, and I used to do student ministry and, and, and now uh, even having teenagers in my house and, and their friends, seeing the transformation that takes place from the time someone is a freshman until they're a senior in high school and, and the, way they, the way their body continues to develop and, and, they, and they put on muscle and mass and they gain strength, it's incredible to see because you're still growing and you're still, you know, and, and so these are important moments. But all of that is about gaining strength. And I want you to think about that because many of you are focused on that right now. You're trying to gain strength for the coming season. And what I'm hoping that we will do together tonight, what we've been trying to do together all week, is to gain strength for what's coming. We want to build our strength. But it works different, see, with our faith than it does with working out for uh, your, you know, football or, or whatever sport you're training for. Because you can try all you want to do this on your own, and you will always fall short. But when you live in the power, the strength of God, your power is multiplied by the, the Spirit of Christ and, and, and the Word of God and the power that He, all of those things just multiplies the strength. And that's what we're going to see tonight, is when we stand firm in the Word of God and put on the whole armor of God, that He surrounds us with His strength and power, that we might stand firm for Christ. And the, the main thing that I want you to see, the main idea, if you will, that I want us to discover together tonight is that my strength is limited, but God's strength is limitless. My strength may be limited. There's a, there are limits to what I can do, but God's strength and His power know no bounds. They're completely limitless. And here's the amazing thing. He's made that strength and that power available to us through faith in Jesus so that the power of God is available to us. Literally, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and empower us even as we're going to see tonight. So we're going to read together from Ephesians chapter 6 beginning in verse 10. And as we read, I want you to focus on a few key words here. There are some words in this passage that are imperatives. They're imperatives. That means that they're instructions that are given. And, and so I want you to look for these words. The words are going to be, be strong, put on, take up, and stand. These are going to be the imperatives in this text. I want you to focus on those words as we read, because these are the instructions that we're being given so that we might, that we might live in this power that God makes available to us. Ephesians 6 verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. 
Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What an incredible thing it is we see in this text that God has given us this armor, that we would, that we would be surrounded by this armor. Literally, the command here, the instruction is to take up this armor, that we may stand firm. And so I want us to look tonight at, at what it means to be surrounded by the armor, to take up the armor, if you will, this armor even. How is it that we do this? How do we, how do we live out the instruction that's given to us in Ephesians chapter 6? And the first thing that I want us to see is this, is that God strengthens those who surrender to His control. See, the beginning point in all of this, the beginning point, the first step that you have to take in taking up the armor of God, is, is to trust Jesus by faith. You have to surrender your life to Him as Lord and Savior. And over the course of this week, over the last few nights, both in this room and in your cabins and other venues around this campus, many of you have given your heart and your life to Jesus. Praise God for that. In fact, let's just take a moment and let's celebrate what God has done this week in bringing people from death to life. We can celebrate that together, Falls Creek. But God is not finished because even tonight, I believe, He's calling us again. And there will be some of you in this room tonight who God is calling to salvation and He's calling you to surrender your life to Jesus. And you've heard the gospel message before. You've heard the truth of the gospel, but maybe you've never surrendered control. And tonight would be the night for you to surrender control to Him in order that you might be strengthened by the power of God. See, God strengthens those who surrender to His control. You know what the amazing thing is? If you go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and look at verses 19 and 20, I'm just going to paraphrase, but you can do this. Thumb back in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1 verses 19 and 20. And what we see is that the same power that raised Christ through the, from the dead is alive in us through the Holy Spirit that we receive by faith. How incredible is that? In John, in, in the book of John, the John, the disciple of Jesus, tells us the words of Jesus that Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 16, verse 7, that it's for your good that I would leave because unless I go, the helper won't come. Now think about that. How many of us, if we could choose between having Jesus with us in person, in the flesh, walking beside us day by day, or having the Holy Spirit, how many of us would probably choose Jesus, right? A Jesus, a God that we could reach out and touch and talk to and see and, and, and that, that we could understand because he's there in the flesh and let Je Jesus himself even says, it's actually better for you if I go because when I go, the helper will come. And Paul says to the church in Ephesus that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we have this Holy Spirit that we receive by faith when we surrender control to Jesus. When we, when we call on Him as Lord and Savior and trust Him, He sends His Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. It's given to us, again, this is from Ephesians chapter 1, go to verse 13. It's given to us as a guarantee of our salvation. That word guarantee could also be translated as the word uh, down payment, 
a, a deposit of sorts. The Holy Spirit is given to us as the, the, the deposit, the guarantee of, of our salvation so that we know that we are saved because God sends his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. And then he begins to work his power in us. And this power, we see this power at work in two ways really in our lives. Both outside of us, in the once for all work of Christ on the cross, and inside of us in the ongoing sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. So we look to the cross of Jesus and we see his power on display on the cross and the power of the empty tomb in his resurrection. But then we also look inward to the Holy Spirit given to us and the, and the Spirit's work and the ongoing sanctifying work in our hearts and our lives. And we see the power of God alive. And some of you this week have just entered into that relationship with Jesus by faith. You've just received that Holy Spirit. And all I can say to you is hold on, buckle up. Because from here on out for the rest of your life, you have the power of God alive in you. And God hasn't called you to live uh, a, a life that is, uh, that, that's just going with the flow and, and just kind of following. He's called you to stand to put on his armor and to make a difference by influencing others for Christ. That begins by surrendering control to him. God strengthens those who surrender to his control. Secondly, we see that God strengthens those who stand firm against the enemy. The instruction is plainly given here in Ephesians chapter 6, right? To stand, we see in verse 11, we would be put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Later it's given to us as an imperative in verse 14, stand therefore. So we're instructed to stand firm in this power that we receive by faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit alive in us, empowering us, enabling us to stand. God strengthens us when we stand. And to be fair, there's a lot that we need to stand against because our enemy is real and his agenda for your lives is ruthless. Did you know that the Apostle Peter writes in his letter that it is, it is Satan, it's the enemy's unhidden agenda to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't want to just make you busy. He doesn't want to just get you involved in some, in some of the, the, the cliche sins that you, you see a lot of your, your friends. He wants to destroy you. And yet, when you're surrounded by the armor of God, you are empowered by God strengthened by God to stand firm against the enemy. Our enemy is real. His agenda is ruthless. But praise God, he is defeated by the power of Jesus Christ on the cross and the power of his resurrection in the empty tomb. Satan is defeated. There is nothing in this world that is greater than the power of Christ. And there's nothing the enemy can throw against you that God's power isn't great enough to overcome. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Praise God for that truth that we can stand. And when we stand in Christ, we have everything we need for victory. When we stand firm in Jesus and we're surrounded by the armor of God, we have everything that we need for victory. The third point I want us to see, and this is really, we're going to camp out on this one and spend more time on this point than the others because we're going to walk through the armor itself together in a moment. But the third point is this, is that God strengthens those who are surrounded by his armor. So we've seen that God strengthened those who surrender to his control. God strengthens those who stand firm against the enemy. 
and God strengthens those who are surrounded by His armor. Why is it that the Lord gives us this armor? Because we're all engaged in a spiritual battle, spiritual warfare. He tells us as much. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You see, you're engaged, whether you realize it or not, you're engaged in a spiritual struggle. An ongoing spiritual struggle that began before you and unless Jesus comes back, it'll continue after you. But each one of us finds ourselves in this present moment engaged in spiritual warfare. And God has given us this armor that we might fight the battle victoriously. Because as we've seen, when we stand firm in Jesus, we have everything that we need for victory. So we need to understand that spiritual warfare must be must be waged with spiritual weapons. Don't, you know, the old, the, the, the classic uh, cliche kind of phrase is don't show up to a gunfight holding a knife, that sort of thing. Like, don't, don't show up unprepared for battle. If you're going to wage this spiritual warfare, you need to use spiritual weapons that have been given to you by God that you might stand firm. And that's what we see here in this armor. It's the weaponry that God has given us. It's both offensive and defensive. It's intended both to help us advance the kingdom and also to defend us against the attack of the enemy. By God's grace, it's everything that we need. And what's more is that each part of this armor points us to Jesus. It points us to Jesus. See, a lot of people make the mistake when they, when they read Ephesians 6 and they look at this armor, they think, okay, I've just got to be more truthful and I've got to be more righteous and I need to, and, and effectively what they do is they walk away feeling like, oh, I've just got to be better. False Creek, what I'm telling you tonight is that you, you don't need to be better. You need to be surrendered. You need to put on the armor of God. I'm not talking about standing in your own strength, in your own power. That's not enough. But when you stand in the power of God, it's everything you need for victory. So, what the scripture is teaching us, what I want us to see tonight is what it means for us to stand firm, surrounded by the armor of God. Let's look at the armor itself. The first piece of armor that we see is the belt of truth. Now we're going to talk more tomorrow night about this idea of truth. I'm not going to spend too much time talking about truth tonight. Tomorrow we'll be looking at a passage of text in 2 Timothy and that'll be a, a part of our, of our message. But to say the least, I think we have to understand that when we talk about putting on the belt of truth, we're not talking about just anyone's definition of truth. We're talking about revealed truth. You see, there's a, there's a difference between your truth and my truth and truth, capital T truth. And we're talking about putting on this belt of capital T truth. This isn't defined by our experiences. This isn't defined by what, what we reason and we understand. No, this is truth as God has revealed it to us, most notably, of course, in His Word, that we would stand for the truth, put on the belt of truth. The second piece of armor in this armament is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, when you think about what a breastplate is, a breastplate is intended to be worn by a soldier to protect their vital organs. 
So picture, if you will, a piece of chain mail or, uh, you know, a, a piece of armor. Somebody uh, around camp today was wearing a stormtrooper outfit. So imagine, if you would, the stormtrooper in his outfit and he's got, the, uh, he's got the, the breastplate on, right? However you envision that in your mind. The breastplate is intended to protect our vital organs. That's the same with the breastplate of righteousness. God has given us righteousness as a covering to guard our hearts, to protect our, our, our very life. The book of Proverbs says that we're to guard our hearts because it's the, it's the wellspring of life. And so we protect our hearts, we guard our hearts by standing in this righteousness, this rightness that comes through faith. Romans chapter 3 verse 22, many of us know Romans 3.23. It tells us that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Did you know that just before that in one verse, Romans chapter 3 verse 22, it says that there's this righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So through faith in Jesus, we receive a righteousness that is not our own. All of, all of you this week who have called on Jesus as Lord and Savior have received a righteousness of God that is not your own through faith in Jesus. And everyone who came to camp this week who has trusted Jesus by faith. You have received a righteousness from God that is not your own through faith in Jesus. And everyone tonight in our time of invitation who will call on Jesus and as Savior and Lord will receive in that moment a righteousness from God that is not your own. And you need that righteousness to stand against the attack of the enemy. You need that righteousness to stand. Praise God, He gives it to us through faith in Jesus Christ as we believe in Him, as we turn from our sin and turn to Jesus as Savior. If you want a great, a great one-verse evangelism tool, look up 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It tells us that Jesus Christ became sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. What a great way to understand the gospel. Jesus took my place because I couldn't pay the price for my sin and live. But Jesus could, so he took my place on the cross. And now I can stand, I can live in his righteousness. The third piece of armor we see is the shoes of the gospel. Now, some of you have commented this week because you've noticed I'm a shoe guy, I'm kind of a shoe guy, right? And so I've got, on, uh, I've got on my Jordan 1s tonight. These are low top Jordan 1s. I love shoes. Um, I love shoes. I've always, that's always kind of been a thing. Um, but when it talks about shoes here, the reason, it's the shoes that come with the readiness of the gospel. Shoes are meant to take us someplace, right? I mean, the reason we have shoes is to protect our feet and, and to take us someplace. What he's talking about here is that we're to be ready to take the gospel out. That we're, to, we're, we're to be ready to be sent out with the gospel. In Romans chapter 10, verse 15, we see this verse that says, how beautiful are those who bring the, the good news. How beautiful, excuse me, are the feet of those who bring the good news. That's quoting from the book of Isaiah. And the picture there is of someone who would come running over the hilltop, someone who would come running through the, 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 the countryside, bringing message from the front of the battle in the front, who would be bringing that message home to those who are on the home front of their soldiers. And they would say, when, when they would arrive, their feet would be battered and, and, and beaten and bruised. But they say, what, that's a beautiful picture. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. That's the, the imagery that Isaiah draws from. And then, of course, Paul co-ops that and, and, and helps us to understand and, and use that 
in consideration of sending the message of the gospel, or taking out, I should say, the message of the gospel. What a beautiful thing it is. First Peter chapter 3.15 tells us to always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us. We should always be ready to share the gospel, the good news about Jesus, because the gospel wasn't meant to stop with you. It wasn't meant to terminate on you. You've been saved for a purpose, saved for a mission, so that you might be sent to share that message with others. And so we're to be ready with the gospel, shoes fit with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. Fourth piece of armor here is the shield of faith, the shield of faith. Now, faith is an interesting thing to consider because Faith is something that is both indicative of our trust in Christ, but it's also something that's necessary in order to trust in Christ. And the Bible talks a lot about faith. I like to practically define faith this way. If you're looking for a a simple way to understand what is faith, I say that faith is trust that's put into action. When we trust in something and then we act on that trust, that's what faith is. It's trust put into action. And when we, when we act on the, the trust that we have in Jesus, when we place our faith and our trust in Him, we have this shield of faith that is a covering. When we think about faith, I think it's important for us to understand that through faith we establish a right relationship with God. That's what we sometimes refer to in, in more uh, doctrinal terms as covenantal faith. Through faith, we establish a right relationship with God. That's what it means when you, when you trust Jesus by faith. When you, when you turn from your sin and turn to Jesus as Savior, you're trusting Him for faith, and that's covenantal faith. So with faith, we establish a right relationship with God. But also faith informs our understanding. Faith informs the way that we see the world. Faith informs the way that we, that we understand the things that are happening. And so we look at the, the events and the signs of our times and we, and we interpret all of that through the lens of faith, understanding what the Word of God says and where it's pointing and where our future is headed. And we, all of that we see through faith. And so sometimes we would use the word epistemological. Now, you can try to write that down. Uh, good luck if you do, but epistemological. Epistemology is the study of knowledge. That's a really fancy word, okay? But I'm, I'm, I'm throwing a bone to some of the more uh, intellectual types tonight with that, right? Uh, epistemology is the study of knowledge. In other words, it's like, how do we know anything? How can you know anything? How do we know that up is up and down is down? How do we know that right from wrong? How, how do we know? That's, that's what epistemology wants to try to answer those questions. But you see, as Christians, as believers, how we understand the world around us, how we understand truth, how we engage with this world is informed by faith. That's epistemological faith. Not only that, faith ultimately becomes the substance of our hopes for the future. And so by faith, we act on God's promise. We understand His promise. We think about what He's promised us in the future, and we act on that. We would call that eschatological faith meaning faith in things to come, faith in things that, are, that will happen in the end, faith in the future. So we have covenantal faith, we have epistemological faith, eschatological faith. In other words, there's so many dimensions to the faith that we have in Jesus, but all of it comes down to this, trust in action. Think of it this way, when you sat down tonight, did you, did you think hard about the chair that you sat in, that it would hold you up? How many of you came to that chair and, and before you sat down, you, 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 you flipped it down and, and you inspected it and you, and you looked underneath it and you, and you surveyed all around it and you're, 
you're thinking, to, and, and maybe you pulled out your phone and you're calculating like the, the density of this chair and is this going to hold me up? No, right? Because why is that? Because you've sat in chairs before and you, you, you have just the basic understanding that chair is going to hold me up when I sit in it. And so experience informs the way that we engage with things, but ultimately that comes down to you, you had faith and you put that, you had trust and you put it in action. You had faith that that chair was going to hold you up. Well, we do that in every arena of our life. The truth is that when we're talking about matters related to our eternity, it's just so much more consequential than which chair you chose when you walked in the room tonight. That we would place our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And as we do, and that we would be surrounded with this shield of faith. It's a part of the armor of God. The fifth piece of this armor is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. I love 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, that tells us to take every thought captive, to obey Christ. That we would be surrounded with this helmet of salvation that would guard our minds through faith in Jesus. This helmet of salvation that would guard our thoughts, that would guard our hopes and our dreams, that would guard our understanding, that would guard the things that we think about and what we dream for and what we, what we work for, that it would all be run through this filter of my salvation in Jesus Christ and obedience to the call of Christ and the command of Christ. Helmet of salvation is an important part of the armor of God. And then finally, the final piece of this armament, if you will, is the sword of the Spirit. We know from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We've been given the Word of God as a weapon with which we can fight the battles that we are engaged in. We wage spiritual warfare with spiritual weapons. It's the armor of God. But here's the last part of this instruction that I want you to catch tonight. Is that the armor's purpose is to advance the gospel. Do you see that in verses 19 and 20? That we're to stand firm in the Word of God, in the armor of God, yes, and the strength that He provides with this armor, yes. But the reason we stand firm is so that we might boldly proclaim the gospel, the mystery of the gospel. You see, the reason that God gives us this power for us to live by is so that we would advance the gospel. And the way that we activate that gospel advance is through prayer. It's through prayer which is what he instructs us to do. Paul both says, pray for me and, and, and also pray for others and, and activate this armor of God through, through faith as you pray. He's instructing us to pray. Prayer positions our hearts to be led by the Holy Spirit. When we pray, it puts us in the right place, the right framework, the right frame of mind, the right posture of humility to be led by the Holy Spirit. Prayer propels the people of God to obey. Through prayer, we're propelled to a life of obedience. But ultimately we see that prayer powers the engine of gospel advance. It powers the engine of gospel advance. If you want to know how to, how to surround yourself in this armor of God, listen, it's not by just trying harder. It's not just by being a better version of yourself. It comes through faith in Christ, through surrender, standing in that strength that we activate by prayer. And so tonight, in a moment, we're going to move into a time of response. And in our time of response, I want to call all of us in this room, 5,000 plus in this room, I believe. I want to call us into a time of prayer tonight during our invitation. 
that we would pray for a movement of God, that we would pray for influence, that we would pray even as we saw night one, God, move me. Let the movement begin with me. God, move me. For some of you tonight, in order for you to take that first step, in order for you to pray these prayers in boldness by faith, you need to surrender your heart and your life to Jesus. Tonight is the night. What else are you waiting for? What else, are, are, what else is stopping you from surrendering your heart and your life to Jesus? And so in a few moments, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And as soon as I'm done praying, we're going to encourage you. If you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus tonight, that you would step out on the aisle and you would come. In fact, I'm going to meet you here. I'm going to kneel down here to be ready to meet you when you come tonight. So that if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, I'm asking you, come all the way to the front and meet me here that you might surrender your heart and your life to him, that you may receive him by faith and you may live in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead would be alive in you through the power of his Holy Spirit. But I know that there are many in this room who've already surrendered your life to Jesus. Now the question for you is, are you gonna stand in his armor? Are you gonna stand firm against the, the attacks of the enemy? Are you gonna wage spiritual warfare in your own strength? Or are you, by prayer, going to activate the power of God in your life? Prayer positions us to be led by the Spirit. It propels us to obedience. It powers the engine of gospel advance. If we want to reach the people around us for Christ, then we have to be a people of prayer. Falls Creek, tonight, may we fall on our face before God and cry out to Him in prayer begging him for a generation that is lost, begging him for a movement of his Holy Spirit in our homes, in our communities, in our churches, begging him to move in our hearts and our lives, that we would influence others for the cause of Christ. I'm going to lead us in prayer after I pray. If God's leading you to surrender your life to Jesus, you step out and you come. Let's meet here at the front. God, we are so grateful that you have given us your Holy Spirit to enable us, to empower us to live by faith. We know that's not by us. It's not by anything that we've done or could do. It's your power made alive in us through faith. And Lord, as you work in us, as you strengthen us to stand, Lord, equip us to advance the gospel, that we would reach others around us. Burden our hearts, Lord, for our friends and our family. Burden our hearts for fellow students on our campus. Burden our hearts for our nation, Burden our hearts for a world that doesn't know you, Jesus. That we would take the gospel, the good news to them. Move in us, Holy Spirit. That we would see your kingdom advance. May your movement begin with me tonight, God. It's in your name I pray. To follow us on Facebook or Instagram, just search for Oklahoma Baptist Youth. And for more information, visit oklahomabaptist.org slash youthcamp. Thanks for listening.